Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start... Your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking making money changes that stick with Katie Milkman. That's right, man. We are going to talk about how we can make uh, positive money changes in 2023. And who better to have this conversation with than Katie Milkman, uh, who is the author of How to Change, the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. Katie is a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where she explores ways that insights from economics and psychology, how they can be harnessed to change consequential behaviors for good, uh, like exercise and vaccinations, but also behaviors like saving more money, which is what we are, we are all about True. here on the show. She's advised organizations ranging from the White House to 24-hour fitness. She writes everywhere as well. Her op-eds appear in The Times, uh, in The Economist, and we're just lucky to have her here with us today to talk about how you can make some of these money changes that stick. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Joel and Matt, thank you so much for having me. We are pumped to talk to you today, Katie. So much to discuss, especially since the dawn of a new year. Uh, there's yeah a lot of changes that we want to make. And our listeners, of course, are tuning in because they want to make money changes. But And we're here kind of with the money advice, but you're here with hopefully the, here's how you can continue to do it over a longer period of time advice. But um, the, the first question we ask anybody who comes on the show is what they like to splurge on and give us a little window into their world. And Matt and I, we splurge on craft beer while we're saving and investing for the future. But what's that for you? What do you like to splurge on? And some people might think you're a little crazy for spending a lot of money in that one area. I don't know if anyone will think I'm crazy, but I like to splurge on vacations for sure. That's my that's my big one. That's not crazy at all, but I like the <laughs> I like it though. Yeah, there's actually a lot of research showing that um, when we spend on experiences rather than just buying stuff, uh, we get more out of it. So I try to follow the data, and I take yeah, yeah. <laughs> really nice vacations. Very nice. So are you like a, uh, are you a quantity of vacations type of girl or like a quality? So do you go on like quality. one really, okay, so does, so you, you go on fewer really nice vacations as opposed to more of them throughout the year? Yeah, I, well, I would say I try to have a healthy number, but I think the splurge part is the quality. Okay. Very nice. All right, best vacation you've had recently? Well, I have a six and a half year old, so that limits the exotic travel I do these days. I used to go uh -huh. all over the world, but we had a really wonderful vacation to Hawaii um, this summer that was truly spectacular. 
looking forward to maybe finally making that trip happen. Yeah. Maybe this year, Joel. Maybe We've got young the- kids too, so it's limited <laughs> up. But we're like, we're, our kids are getting a little bit older. It feels like we could finally expand some of our destinations. I'm looking so. to reacquaint mm. myself with the world. Yeah. Uh, yes, right? <laughs> Katie, we so before we talk about how to go about making change, like, can we just talk about how sometimes folks feel unable to change? Um, like, what is it that's, that's holding most folks back from believing that they just have the ability to, to make progress in their lives at all? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I should say there are lots of very real external barriers to change, right? You might feel like your budget is just too tight to make the changes you want, or you don't have the family support that you need to make the changes or um, job stability. So there are very real external barriers that can block people. I don't study those. I actually study the internal barriers to change. And I think they're particularly fascinating because uh, even when everything is lined up, which it rarely is, but even when everything is lined up in your favor outside, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And the fascinating thing about the internal barriers to change is there's no one barrier. There's there's a laundry list and some of us have multiple things we're fighting against. Some of us are just struggling with one. Diagnosing is really important to using uh, the right solution. So barriers that are common include uh, procrastination, a lack of confidence, forgetting, which I think we overlook often, but if it doesn't get to the top of your priority list, if it's not top of mind, we often don't take the actions that are important. Habits can get in the way. We tend to be creatures of habit. We tend to take the path of least resistance, um, which is uh, you know, following those, those habits. And that can be a real barrier to change. So there are many, many challenges. Uh, and depending on which one a given person is facing when they're trying to make a change, the solution that will be most well-suited to help them is different. Yeah. Well, I will say forgetting used to be like at the top of the list for reasons I didn't get things done. And I swear Google Calendar uh, has been a game changer for me in that regard. Like I get a lot more stuff done just because I'm better at putting stuff on the calendar to get it done. But man, nothing worked for me before that. And so I was just like a forgetful mess and didn't accomplish nearly as much as I wanted to. So that is definitely one thing you're right that we don't put in, give enough credit just so we're forgetting things because we're not putting them in front of ourselves. But what are the difference uh, differences, Katie, between resolutions that we make and then the potential for lasting change because i don't know something like this is a stat that gets quoted all the time but there's something like 80 percent of people who don't actually follow through on the resolutions they make after a month or two so we're in this period right now (laughs) with this fresh start period that you talk about where a lot of people are ready willing and they're trying to move in the right direction when it comes to making change but yeah how do we make sure that it sticks around and isn't just a, a failed attempt a few weeks from now yeah, it's a great question. And as you know, this is sort of a magic moment. I've done research on what's called the fresh start effect uh, phenomenon, where at the start of um, new chapters in our lives, moments that feel like new beginnings, so the start of a new year being the best known, but there are many others actually as well, we pursue goals with extra vigor. But the funny thing about fresh starts is they're short-lived, right? So they give you that little boost of motivation to begin something new, but a couple weeks pass and that's gone. And now you need something to carry you forward. And that's where a lot of folks fall flat. And I actually think one of the biggest issues is that people aren't strategic about how am I going to achieve this goal? They just say, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the gym this year and I'll go now because I feel motivated. And then three weeks later, they don't feel motivated anymore and everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. But an alternative way you could pursue a goal and and what research shows is better is actually by um, following a bunch of best practices. So uh, ideally, when you want to pursue a goal, first of all, you define a plan. Uh, And the plan isn't just, I'm going to go to the gym once, right? The plan is, I'd like to do this regularly for some, hopefully, very long-term period of time. If it's about getting in shape, if it's about um, cutting back your spending, whatever that is. Maybe you want to learn a new language this year. Um, You don't want to just say, I'm going to learn Spanish. You actually want to sit down and say, okay, how am I going to do it? Well, maybe uh, those details look like saying it's going to be four hours a week that I spend on Duolingo, and it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 5 p.m. right after work when I spend an hour on the app practicing, uh, and I'm going to do that every week consistently. Now you're actually starting to um, see the groundwork for 
the kind of plan that might carry forward. Now, that might sound boring, but actually breaking down a big, vague goal into bite-sized pieces, whether it has to do with savings, volunteering, exercise, is one of the most important things you can do. And then figuring out when will I do it, where will I do it, how will I get it done. There's more to the magic as well. You have to make sure you won't forget so you can put it on your Google Calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally, you're thinking about accountability. So can you create consequences so that if you fail to follow through, it isn't just a shoulder shrug, but you're really going to feel crummy about that. Um, The more the consequence, the more likely it is that you won't procrastinate or give up on yourself. So you can actually put money on the line, for instance, that you agree you'll forfeit if you don't achieve a given goal. You can choose referees. There are some websites like stick.com and beminder.com, which I am, I should say, unaffiliated with, just an admirer of their product (laughs) that allow you to do things like that. And research shows that when you use these so-called commitment devices, basically penalizing yourself for future failures to follow through on your goals, you dramatically increase the likelihood of success because nobody's nobody likes a fine. So those are a <laughs> bunch of strategies you can take. And there's more we could get into depending on what other obstacles you foresee, uh, like yeah. making sure you enjoy the way you're pursuing the goal and so on. But that's a pretty good groundwork. Yeah, absolutely. Like you kind of just you gave us just like a little sampler platter of, uh, <laughs> of a lot of things <laughs> some of the, you some the different on. strategies that you talk yeah. about in your book. Um, but essentially, I mean, all of these things can lead an individual to create processes that work for them. And which makes me think of like my favorite new quote, which is process saves us from the poverty of our intentions, uh, which I heard recently. And I was just like, man, that is so stinking good. Yeah. But that's what all of this does. It's about creating this plan. Because we've all got these idealized intentions at this point in the year where it's like, of course I'm going to do this. Like, everyone, everyone has goals. It's, I just turned over <laughs> a new leaf. But if you don't have the processes to back that up, then inevitably it's going to fall flat for most folks, right? That's exactly right. And unfortunately, uh, too often we aren't focused on those processes. We're just focused on that short burst of motivation and we imagine it will carry us forward and we'll have no problems. But once you right. start recognizing, no, there are barriers to success and to maintenance um, and starting to set yourself up so that you can overcome them, you start seeing better results. And of course, everyone, the resolutions get made at the beginning of the year. Uh, and so I, f- I feel like that's one that's a little more natural for a, for a lot of folks. But in your book, you also talk about how there are different life events that can occur that folks can maybe take advantage of. Can you talk through maybe some different examples of maybe even disruptive life events that, that folks are able to use to their advantage to uh, basically put them on this path towards a new fresh start for them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the really interesting things about the way we think about time and the way we think about our lives is that we don't perceive it linearly. We actually think about ourselves like we're characters in a book and um, our life is divided into chapters and there are big chapters and there are short chapters. There's even, you know, subsections of chapters. Every time um, something happens that feels like a book ends, a chapter or a a section of our life, um, we feel this sense of discontinuity. So think about, you know, moving to a new city. And you could think about, you know, the years you maybe were in college or working at a certain employer. Those are sort of chapters in your life. Or a year is also a major chapter marker for many people in their lives, which is part of why New Year's feels like a fresh start. And whenever we cross one of those boundaries, close one chapter, and open another, we have a sense that we are um, further apart from our past self. Whatever, you know, I didn't get done last year. Last year I meant to get in shape or I meant to um, get my portfolio under control and diversify better. Whatever it was, uh, I didn't do it yet, but that was the old me. And this is the new me and the new me is going to be different. So that discontinuity can be really productive for anything where you, you haven't already achieved the goal and maybe you were feeling a little sad about it. And now you can say, well, you know, that was the past and and this is going to be different. Uh, It also tends to lead us to step back and think big picture about our lives. So we have Mm. shown that this happens um, not just with things that you might expect to be momentous, like a real physical change. You have a new job or a new house or um, a new community or a new role of some kind, right? There's actually really wonderful past research by Wendy Wood at University of Southern California looking at these life disruptions and how they can break up our habits. But we've shown that even um, trivial events on the calendar that truly do not matter and 
they they create the same psychological and uh, choice effects where we pursue goals with greater vigor. So the start of a new week is a, a minor fresh start. We already talked about New Year's. That's the big one we're all familiar with. But the start of a new month, uh, sometimes the celebration of spring, especially if it's drawn to your attention, the start of spring feels like a, a new beginning, the celebration of a birthday. And there are many minor holidays that feel like fresh starts to people. So think more Labor Day and less Valentine's Day. Uh, and different religions have different holidays that signal a fresh start for people who practice in that religion. So all these fresh start dates, um, when we sort of look at data, have this incredible ability to increase just naturally how much people are uh, doing things like searching for the term diet on Google or visiting the gym or setting goals on popular goal-setting websites about everything from their health to their finances to their education. Uh, And we have also done experiments where we show that by highlighting fresh start dates that people might not otherwise be attending to, uh, we can get people to pursue their goals more aggressively. So my favorite experiment involved trying to get more people to sign up for a, a retirement savings account with their employer um, that was you know, tax beneficial. It was a 403B, not a 401K, which is probably the most familiar, but this was with Well, you're universities. speaking our language, though, because you know we're all about that. So. <laughs> I do. So I thought I could throw out some of that, that fun stuff. Um, so, so we um, partnered with four universities that had 403B plans, and we sent out mailings to employees who were not yet saving uh, at the sort of match threshold, so they weren't taking advantage of all of their employer benefits or weren't saving at all. In fact, most weren't saving at all. And we invited them to start saving either right away or in the future, because we knew a lot of people would want to put off that that decision to start saving from past research. And what we varied is whether or not the date in the future when we invited people to begin saving, we said, we'll take care of it, just mail back this postcard. If that date in the future aligned with a fresh start and was described in that way, or if it aligned with a fresh start but wasn't described. So to be really specific, imagine your birthday's coming up in two months and you're in this experiment, we would flip a coin and the coin toss would determine whether you got a version of the mailing that invited you to start saving after your upcoming birthday or in two months. Now, mm. they're literally identical, but in one case, <laughs> we are uh, highlighting an upcoming fresh start as the opportunity. So we tried this with birthdays, we tried it with the start of spring, um, and what we see is that inviting people to begin saving after a fresh start date and, and like literally calling it out as such leads to 20 to 30% more savings in the following eight months uh, wow. than a literally identical invitation to save that doesn't name the fresh start date that's um, a significant increase yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah, pretty 30%. exciting humans yeah. are odd beings right that we respond differently to that but it's cool to see that that's the case and then you can tailor your marketing accordingly to help people make better decisions and i'm, I'm curious too you, you write about katie and you performed a lot of research that shows uh, that we underestimate the discipline needed to make change in our lives but that there are ways that we can make it more fun so yeah can you talk about that because sometimes um, there are if we can make it more fun we're more likely to stick to it yeah this is a huge insight and and i think the best research on this comes from islet fishbach at the university of chicago and caitlin woolley at cornell who showed most of us when we are left to our own devices think the best way to pursue our goals is just to look for the most direct path to success and follow it so let's take the example of getting in shape what's the maximally efficient workout machine that will create the most pain and sort of benefits per minute <laughs> you're like i'm gonna get on that if i want to get in shape yeah it, it means i'm gonna start running right this minute yeah exactly yes, yes. <laughs> regardless what the weather and, and is and flailing regardless. your arms carrying weights yeah. you know yes. do all the things that are hard uh a small minority of people though pursue their goals a different way which is that they actually look for a fun way to achieve that goal of say getting in shape so that that person might go to zumba classes with a friend instead of getting on the punishing stairmaster. and what's really interesting is that uh the folks who intuit they should find a fun way to pursue their goals, they're actually the ones that have it right. In randomized controlled trials where people are either encouraged to pursue their goals in ways that are fun or in ways that are maximally efficient, the people encouraged to pursue goals in ways that are fun are the ones who actually end up sticking to them longer. And in most cases, it's not about how much progress you make per session. It's about sticking to it that leads mm-hmm. to the, to real success. So that persistence difference between pursuing goals in a way that's fun and ways that are you know slightly more efficient, we miss a you know we don't appreciate it and we uh, we make a mistake there. So 
I've done some research on different ways you can make it fun to pursue your goals because there are strategies that systematically make it more enjoyable. Um, one is whenever there's something that would feel like a chore otherwise, you can actually try to link it with a temptation. So only let yourself say, binge watch your favorite TV show when you are working out at the gym or only let yourself pick up your favorite beverage from a coffee shop um, when you're heading to the library to hit the books. If you're a student, I talk to my students at Wharton about that one a lot. (laughs) Or, you know, only let yourself listen to your favorite podcast while you're doing household chores. And by combining those two things, something that's a temptation and source of pleasure with something that might otherwise not be super fun that you might put off and, and dread, you can transform the experience so that you'll get your chores done and um, keep at it. And, and there are other strategies too, right? Selecting different types of activities as a way to pursue the same goal and also making it social uh, can be really effective when you pursue goals with someone who you enjoy. That's another way to change the experience. But the key insight is when you're thinking about a goal, when you're making a plan, which is something we already talked about a little bit earlier, how important it is to be strategic, think about pursuing that goal and planning to pursue that goal in a way you will enjoy because ultimately that is a huge predictor of success. You've got to stick to it. And if you don't enjoy it, if it's no fun while you're pursuing the goal, you're going to quit. That's right. Yeah, that's where you can use that instant gratification, uh, which normally works against us, but then you're, you're harnessing it. You're using that as like wind at your back. But so you're talking about temptation bundling. Katie. Yes, um, I so am. I, yeah, yeah. I would love to hear how, like how are maybe some specific ways that folks can apply temptation bundling to their financial habits to you know whether it is for them to save more whether it's them spending less at the grocery store i'd be curious to hear if you have any suggestions for ways that folks can temptation bundle to get ahead with their money yeah i think that's a great question um and i do think there are ways that you can use temptation bundling when it comes to financial habits um you know one is just thinking about budgeting which is not a a task that everybody relishes and looks forward to (laughs) um and thinking about are there are there things you can bundle with budgeting that make it more pleasant like maybe a favorite bottle of wine you only open once a month when you go through your budget or a, a person you really enjoy spending time with and you both um get together when it's sort of time to make budgets and you get to chit chat and and laugh a little bit while you're going through it i will admit that um I was influenced very much on that one by my dad growing up who used to uh, do his taxes with an accountant who become, became a very dear friend and they made it a, a source of fun every year. It was basically a big party. They stayed up late. They drank a lot of great wine. Um, they had a really that good meal awesome. on, when it was tax time. And so there's lots of ways I think you can make um, some of the the things that feel like chores but are really important to healthy financial decision making um, more pleasant. A lot of them are social, uh, choosing an advisor who you enjoy spending time with, maybe going out for a special meal at a restaurant you, you reserve for only spending time with them. So those are a few ideas, but creative listeners may come up with others. And I'm always on the market for other (laughs) temptation bundles. Yeah, no, I like it. I literally had a coworker who she would go to the gym, get on the Stairmaster and she would watch her favorite shows. And it was, I remember like, I think she would have given up her gym commitment if it hadn't been for the fact that that she so deeply associated watching her favorite shows with working out that it became this thing like, well, I'm going to go watch my show. And, but inevitably she was getting exercise at the same time. So I think that's brilliant. And it's one of those things that not many people think about. Well, we've got a few more questions we want to get to with you. We want to talk about overcoming procrastination and laziness. We'll get to some uh, questions for Katie on those fronts right after this. I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and one. That's right. Yeah. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 
25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we are back from the break talking with Katie Milkman about these different money changes that you can make, uh, and not only that you can make, but that you can stick with. And Katie, uh, in your book, you talk about how, I mean, basically everybody procrastinates, right? (laughs) Everybody from folks like us uh, all the way down to your (laughs) students uh, who you teach. But there are constraints or commitment devices, you you mentioned this uh, just before the break, that we can use. So can you explain how those work and, and maybe give some examples? Yeah, absolutely. Commitment devices are fascinating because we're actually quite used to their sort of sister tool, which is being managed by other people, right? If you have a um, a boss or, you know, live in a country that has a functioning government, then you are familiar with the fact that sometimes you are incentivized to behave in ways that are good for your organization or your um, community, right? So think about speeding tickets. You are tempted to speed, um, but you get slapped with a fine if you give in to that temptation. Or um, think about uh, finishing a project at work. You probably are given a deadline by your boss. I know there will be some real consequence if you don't actually hit that deadline. Well, that's when someone else external to you imposes some cost for, say, procrastination or giving into temptation. Um, but it turns out you can actually impose penalties on yourself in the same way. And that's when it's called a commitment device. And it sounds weird because the idea of imposing penalties on yourself for not achieving your goals is kind of counterintuitive. Like, why would I fine myself or punish myself or set deadlines with consequences for myself? But Sounds a little masochistic, right? It does. It really does. But the evidence shows that when you create those kinds of deadlines and penalties for yourself, it can be incredibly effective. Um, 
this is a podcast about finance so uh, and or financial decision making. So it's a good place to talk about one of my favorite studies on the power of a commitment device, which actually was a savings study. And it, it involved giving people access to a very unusual kind of savings account. The study was done in the Philippines, and it was done um, to give people access to an account where uh, they actually wouldn't be able to take their money out unless they reached a predetermined uh, date or a predetermined savings goal. And it had no interest rate benefits over a standard account that was fully liquid. It's sort of crazy to think people would actually put money into this if you have sort of a strict um, economic perspective so like on somebody things. who doesn't like freedom or liberty right yeah like why would you ever do that unless there's why like a higher interest yourself? rate why would you mm-hmm. ever want to put your money into this account that's it's just strictly worse you can't access your cash but interestingly in a randomized controlled trial about 30 percent of those offered this kind of account chose to put money in it uh some of their money at least into that account so that's sort of shocking and then the most astounding fact is that two groups randomly selected um, were compared to one another one of which had access to this account they were told hey you can put some money in it if you want and remember 30 percent did 70 percent didn't so we compare that entire group everybody who had access to it whether they put money in or didn't to a second group which is the control group that wasn't given access to this account and the question is which group saves more the group that can put money in an illiquid account or the group that can't and what's fascinating is that having access to these accounts where you don't get any interest rate benefit, but your money's locked up until you've reached a predetermined savings goal or hit a date that you selected, having access to it leads to 80% more savings year over year. Wow. And again, only 30% of people are even putting money in these accounts. So just think, you know, imagine if 100% were how how high the savings benefits would be for the whole group. So 800 additional dollars, that was the average uh, for the entire group. That's right. Exactly. Wow. So okay. uh, 80% increase in savings for the entire population just offered the account, even though only 30% took it up. Took advantage it's an of it. incredible wow. result. Um, so it highlights that when we take steps to constrain ourselves, to prevent ourselves from giving into temptation, it's really beneficial. Another great study showed that um, letting smokers put money into a an account where they would have to forfeit all that cash. So this is a different way of imposing a commitment here. We're fining people instead of constraining access. But smokers who have a way to put money on the line, they'll have to forfeit if they don't quit smoking six months later. They quit at a 30% higher rate than otherwise identical smokers who um, just get standard smoking cessation tools. So Hmm. if we can fine ourselves or constrain ourselves, that's a way we can sort of bully ourselves into achieving goals at a higher rate. And again, we're used to others doing this for us. Our manager who sets a deadline and says there's a penalty if you don't turn this in on time or or our government that says "I'll, I'll fine you for these behaviors that I don't want to see. But if you do it for yourself, you can reap all the benefits. And I just, uh, I think this has everything to do with why I've been so successful at going to the gym three times a week, Katie, is because I pay a lot of money at the beginning of the month (laughs) and it automatically gets deducted. Well, it was also a fresh start thing, Matt, because you and I started working out when we moved. Matt and I moved over the summer, Katie, and like we thought of it kind of and we didn't connect the terminology because we hadn't read your book at that point. But we were connecting it to this like ability to start some fresh things. And so the move, combined with how much money Matt's I'm never going to stop working out. (laughs) (laughs) Because I got the I got the double whammy. Yeah, no, that's great. And it is funny that by reducing the marginal cost of a gym visit to zero, you're essentially pre-committing. There's also a bit of fun psychology. Uh, You know, it is a sunk cost, right? Once you've spent it, you can't recover it. So in a sense, you sort sort of be making a decision that ignores that about whether you're going to go to the gym this afternoon or not. But that's not the way our mind works. We tend to feel guilty about Mm -hmm. expenses, even if they're sunk costs. If we're not sort of taking full advantage of them. So yeah. there's um, there's a behavioral bias you're leveraging to get yourself to the gym there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so f- for so many elements of our financial lives, we're not just trying to incentivize something positive. We're trying to discourage something that's negative, right? Like reckless spending uh, yes, is, is one of those things. And so yeah, some studies have shown that 
using cash is more painful for people, which helps us helps people spend less overall. And although I've heard anecdotal evidence from younger folks that that's not the case, <laughs> that they actually think of cash as of it's burning a hole in their pocket literally, and they don't feel the pain associated with it. And so maybe some of these older studies need to be updated. I'd be curious to see if that like still holds. But but how else can we create pain points? to help us curb some of those negative habits, some of those ways maybe in the realm of money that we're using it uh, kind of like in ways that we don't want to be using it anymore, ways that are really working where we're working against ourselves. Yeah, well, accountability to other people can be an important way of sort of punishing yourself if you want to avoid a bad behavior. So we talked a little bit about um, accounts that are illiquid. So you can, you know, you're literally not able to touch it. That's one way of penalizing yourself. You can literally fine yourself, but that's sort of counterproductive if you're trying to save more money. And then you fine yourself for not saving enough, right? You could see how that becomes a vicious cycle. Um, (laughs) But another tool is just um, giving visibility to someone so that you'll be ashamed if they find out that you don't achieve a goal. That's another kind of penalty. Um, and and so uh, having having accountability to someone else, giving them visibility into a financial goal and whether or not you're achieving it, um, that could be a you know still somewhat painful but uh, less painful way that you could achieve success. Kind of like announcing on social media, hey, I'm going to run a, run a marathon at the uh, in November or something like that. And like if you don't actually make it happen, you've kind of like set yourself up. All your peer group is expecting you to accomplish this, and there is some sort of a, a level of public failure if you don't hit it, hit that goal. So I, yeah, I could see that being working in your favor too, even as like a negative kind of motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Although I would say one important thing about any sort of public accountability is generally it's more effective to define small sub goals that you want to achieve and give some visibility into that rather than a big end goal. So you talked about, oh, I'm going to run a marathon uh, next year, or, you know, in the fall. That's a really big end goal. The ideal would be to say, you know, I'm going to run a marathon next fall and I'm starting with a 5K next month. Uh, and then, you know, the month after that, I'll do a half marathon and so on. So you sort of work your way up and there's visibility at each point along the way. Um, when it's a big goal that's distal, then even with that penalty and shame, you may not take the steps in between. You may sort of put it off and put it off and then it, it's too late to actually train for the marathon by the time you realize yeah. <laughs> how embarrassed yeah. you'll be. So um, smaller bite-sized goals with visibility to others and accountability are, are a better approach. Yeah, I mean, you talk about putting that plan together and how that's probably one of the most important things you can do, because literally, like once you start planning things out, you start tackling the problem. It's not like it's just this device that sits on the shelf until it's needed. Like literally the process of planning starts, you start to implement the very next steps that you need to take. It kind of like gets you started on that journey. You're setting things in motion at that point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Okay. Automation. When it comes to to fighting laziness, I think that that's a, a device that can be used. How important do you think automation is when it comes to creating lasting change and specifically fighting against laziness? Automation is such an amazing tool for changing for good, particularly in the domain of financial decision making. If we could have automation in every part of our lives, I think we would have far fewer problems. Uh, if you th- right, if only I could just automate rejecting dessert for the next month. Can you right? Can you imagine? Or I could well, just automate today. I'm just going to put yeah. it on autopilot that I will show up at the gym every day at 5 p.m. Um, the amazing thing about automation and your finances is that you really can sort of. S- in the words of Nobel laureate Richard Thaler, set it and forget it. You can say, I'm going (laughs) to take this amount of money, I'm going to auto-deduct it from my paycheck every month when it arrives and send it straight to a retirement savings account or straight to an emergency savings account or whatever it is I need to save for. You do it once, it happens automatically. You literally don't have to think about it again. And then that money isn't sitting there for you to spend. It's a really incredible tool. And there um, have been a lot of studies showing just how useful these kinds of auto deduct settings are for increasing savings. Frankly, I do a lot of work. I do work on savings. I also do work on health uh, and education. And it is frustrating that we cannot automate, um, you know, study habits, healthy eating, and so on. The everyday behaviors that still take some sort of willpower. That's right. And of course, you can't automate resisting the temptation every day to splurge spend. But but it sure is helpful that some of that money has disappeared and your account balance is limited in terms of the splurge spending because you automated those deductions and sending money to savings. 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at the results of automatic opt-ins when it comes to like 401k contributions, the amount of people that contribute to their 401k when the default position is that they are, like it's so much higher than it's when, incredible. The, when, when it's left up to the individual choice, right? Yeah. So this and, is this is a classic study that was done in I guess 2003 by um, Bridget Madrian, and what she and her uh, collaborator showed is that when this single employer switched from having new employees fill out paperwork um, where they had to check a box to opt in to be a part of the employer's 401k to having new employees check a box to opt out, they saw about a 30 percentage point increase overnight in how many people were saving um, for retirement. It's just extraordinary. And this has now been replicated many times. The effects aren't always necessarily 30 percentage point increases, but they're large increases. uh, And it's really powerful. and, And lots of companies now have smart defaults. And in fact, I think the 2006 U.S. Pension Protection Act legislated that it's tax advantaged for your employer to automatically enroll you in their in their savings plan. That's when good process design, or yeah. I don't know what they call it, all the like software engineers who design the, the different software that when you're onboarding employees, but just some of the right tweaks to the system can make a significant impact on the ability for folks to save sure. for their futures. Huge um, difference. But, but Katie, we've got a, a few more questions for you that we're going to get to here after the break, including we want to talk about the impact of uh, the people we hang out with. We're, we're going to talk about peer pressure and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. No matter how hard of a worker you are, you probably like to kick back, relax, and just chill every now and then. But if you're an investor, that's the last thing you want your money to be doing. You want it to be out there working hard and kicking butt. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Betterment's automated technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help maximize returns. We're talking tools like diversified, expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs, Keeping those expense ratios low is key to seeing your investments compound over the years and decades. A high-yield cash account where your money can earn 11 times the national average. Listeners know that they need to have an emergency fund set aside for those completely unforeseen expenses. A high-yield cash account is the perfect place to park that money in automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. That way, if certain industries are, say, growing like crazy, your portfolio, it stays on track. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. 
With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back from the break. Still talking with Katie Milkman. We want to make money changes in 2023. Most of us, at least, unless you're just already crushing it. But most of us want to make money changes this year. We want to get better with our finances. But we don't want to just make empty gestures in this new year and then find out that we fall flat on our face weeks from now. And so, Katie, uh, I'm glad to, we're glad to have you here talking about how to make money changes that are going to stick around, stand the test of time, uh, creating, initiating and incorporating some of these tactics to do that. You, you give an example in your book about a way that high school students were able to boost their performance. Uh, can you share that story? I thought I found that one fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the most interesting studies I've gotten to be involved in uh, was a study led by Lauren Eskris Winkler at the Kellogg School at Northwestern University showing that when students are invited to advise their peers on how to study more effectively, the invitation to give that advice to others and the act of doing so improves advisors' own grades. So let me just say that again. It's not the students getting <laughs> advice who are getting better grades. It's the students giving advice who are wow. getting better grades, which I think is just absolutely fascinating. And the, the psychology there is that um, when you're invited to coach someone else on how to achieve a goal that you also are trying to pursue, like boosting your grades in school, one, it, it improves your confidence if somebody's asking me for advice, I must not be such a doofus. There must be something I can say that's useful here, right? Like, okay, I guess I'm not I'm not going to be a straight C student forever. I've got something to offer. Um, Katie, so, somehow you, you've uh, figured out how to money the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys are making such, such great decisions now that you're giving advice. I know. Um, you have a window into our soul now. <laughs> no. So that there's magic there. And then the second ingredient is you have to introspect now deeply about what might work for someone else. You're going to think about things that would work for you too, of course, because that's what you have access to. So you're going to think deeply because now I have to tell somebody something. So I, I've got to come up with some answers. And then um, then you're going to say it out loud to another human. And when you do that, uh, there's something called the saying is believing effect where, you know, I wouldn't be giving this advice if I didn't think it was good advice. And it'd be totally hypocritical if I didn't take it. So all those things combined are a really powerful force to help people achieve better results when they give advice to someone about a goal they too hope to um, succeed on. Absolutely. I mean, and truly, this is something that has had a positive impact on both sure. mine and Joel's finances, the ability to there's a, there's a degree of responsibility. Not only are we just posting it on social media that we've got these goals, it's like we've got a podcast that's, right. you know, that is also documenting all these different strategies and tips. And we were talking about that donor, we like to take. donor advice funds in November. And I was like, man, <laughs> I know about these things. And, and I, I believe that they're good. But now I'm going to open my own. Now <laughs> we got them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and when it comes to our listeners as well, I think like what's so great about this is we often are encouraging our listeners just to start talking about money. That's the biggest reason why we started the show five years ago. We just wanted it to be something that did not feel like was unspeakable. And even with our listeners, as you start hearing about what you should be doing with your money, but just taking those first steps and talking about it with somebody else gets the conversation started pretty soon. Yes, they, they might ask you a question and all of a sudden, it sort of feels like you're a teacher and you always you hear the saying that there's no faster way to learn something than to actually teach it. And just like you said, the saying is believing effect. I think the same thing applies that's here. It takes hold. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we love seeing that, uh, that happen with our listeners as well. Yeah. And I, I want to know too, uh, Katie, because like some of us are, are inevitably going to fail at some of the goals we set, right? None of us is ever perfect. We just accomplish everything we set out to do in record time. So, so how do we recover from, from failure? Let's say someone set their goal to max out their Roth IRA last year, but they fell short. Like how should they approach that goal moving forward now in 2023? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a couple things that research has to say about that. One thing that I think is really important is an insight about the way we code 
failure, and it comes from work by Carol Dweck at Stanford University. She studied something um, called growth mindset, uh, and she compares it to a fixed mindset. And they're basically two extreme ways of thinking about um, failure and success in a growth mindset. The way you perceive the world or the way you perceive your skill at anything, whether it's investing or your intelligence, is that it's not a fixed set of abilities you're born with that you can learn and grow and develop over time. But if you have a fixed mindset, you think about things just the opposite, that you're sort of born with some innate abilities and whatever they are, they are. And so these two perspectives that people can take on the world lead to really different ways of interpreting failure. If you have a if you have a fixed mindset and something goes badly for you, you fall down on a goal, you're going to interpret that as diagnostic of your capabilities and it's going to be really discouraging. But if you have a growth mindset and you recognize the truth, which is that in, in almost everything in life, maybe with the exception of your height, you have the ability to, you know, <laughs> improve um, over time with learning then you're going to interpret that failure as input and an opportunity to learn and grow and do better next time. And it turns out these, which mindset you use, it's, it's malleable. There's research showing that we can teach people to have a growth mindset by pointing out that basically everything in the world, you can get better with practice and, and effort and, and learning. And to the extent that you can be deliberate about adopting a growth mindset, then when you fall short of your goals, which inevitably, that's what goal, if you're setting goals correctly, by the way, you should be falling short of some of your goals. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. want to always stretch yourself with your goals. That is what the research shows. If you're setting wimpy goals and you always succeed, you are not pushing yourself enough and you're not, you're not getting enough out of yourself. Um, so when you stumble, though, think about it with a growth mindset and say, what did I learn from this? Not like, oh, no, this means I could never do it. But rather, you know, what can I do differently next time? What was the obstacle that tripped me up? How could I adopt a, a new strategy so that in the future, when that same obstacle uh, gets in my way, I'll have a better outcome? So I'd say yep. growth mindset approach to all goals is really important. And then the, the other thing is um, based on research by my colleague um, Marissa Sharif at, at the Wharton School, who's shown that when we set stretch goals for ourselves, which is the ideal, right? You know, I want to go to the gym seven days a week is better than I want to go to the gym <laughs> two days a week. Um, it's more motivating. You're more likely to, to push yourself. But when we do that, um, anticipating that we're going to need to have the ability to give ourselves some get out of jail free cards, she calls them emergency reserves, can be really useful. So when you set tough goals, that is ideal, but it's also ideal to make sure that you let yourself off the hook. Not a lot, because if you say like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week and I have six emergencies that I can take, <laughs> then well, that's not going to get you very far. But it's better to say I'm going to aim for seven days a week of this, this behavior and I give myself a little wiggle room to... Uh, to get out of jail free than to say, I'm going to try to go five days a week. And the reason is you're not going to want to take those get out of jail free cards if you can avoid it. So you're likely to push yourself really hard. But if you do have a miss, um, you won't give up and you'll still keep pushing uh, to do quite well. Nonetheless, yeah, you won't scrap it all together. Yeah, it keeps you from throwing everything out the window to yeah having those those do overs or yeah. those mulligans. Like you're you sick about. for a few days and like it gives you the grace to say, OK, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. cool. Like that's a reason to miss a gym. It's a decent reason to not be able to make it. And exactly. I mean, I don't think we're going to have time to, to touch on it, but you talk about elastic habits and how not being overly rigid, how important that is to, to keep us on track. I think the same thing applies with sort of these do overs as well. Totally. Uh, but Katie, what? A, yeah. What about using peer pressure? <laughs> uh, peer pressure, social relationships. I think that there are different ways that we can use those to our advantage as well, because it's, it's not just middle schoolers that feel that kind of pressure. You know, like we're, we're all social animals. And so how can we harness that reality to propel us forward with our financial goals? Yeah, I love this topic. It's so important. Um, so we are incredibly influenced by the people who surround us. They show us what's possible. Um, they shape our beliefs about um, how we should be behaving. One of my favorite studies showing this is just looking at the college roommate you're randomly assigned as a freshman and shows that if you end up with a roommate who is basically a better student um, historically, you get better grades than if you end up with a roommate who had sort of less uh less studiousness uh historically hmm. so you know 
you're, think about the logic of it. Your, your roommate goes out and parties every Thursday and Friday. You think, well, that's the thing to do in college. I should be partying all the time. <laughs> Versus your roommate every Thursday and Friday yep. stays in with a book, makes um, you know flashcards. You're thinking, gosh, I guess to succeed in college, I should be staying in Thursdays and Fridays and making flashcards. So we're influenced. Or you're like, man, my roommate is a nerd and I got to get a new one. <laughs> well, Later, nerd. <laughs> in the extreme, that also happens. But on average... Um, you're right. It, it's uh, yes. There can, there can be there can be situations where you're like, God, you're so crazy that you don't yeah, yeah. you aren't influenced by people. But well, on average, we are. Too. If if there is too much of a disparity, it turns folks off. Yes, absolutely. In that way, yeah. I mean, in that way, it can kind of backfire. And so it's it's so important to surround yourself with like you know individuals who have something in common with you, but who who aren't like at the very top of their game. Because when yeah. there is that gulf, it can like you, if I'm working out with the rock, it can prevent you from it's achieving gonna be dis- your goals. It's going to dis- be dispiriting, right? Exactly. It's going to make me, <laughs> yeah. me want to quit. So you want someone who stretches you a little bit because they're a little bit ahead of you, but it, it's not hopeless. It's not a hopeless yeah. gulf. And that's also what this research on college roommates showed was you want somebody who is um, was a stronger student than you ideally as your roommate, but you don't want you know the valedictorian if you were Opposite a, ends of a the straight yeah. student because <laughs> now there's, there's such a gulf that you can't even relate. And like you said, you say, hey, this person's a nerd. I'm going out every night. I got to get away from them. <laughs> um, so... That, but it is important to cultivate if you if you have big goals in any part of your life, trying to cultivate social relationships with people who share those goals and who are mm. frankly a little bit ahead of you and and from whom you can learn is incredibly valuable. Um, they can be a support group. You can also offer them advice, uh, which we already talked about the power of advice giving, right? You could talk about those shared goals and you'll find you actually do have something to offer. Um, but you can do what my collaborator, Angela Duckworth, and also uh, Katie Mayer and I all call copy and paste, which is actually we show that when you deliberately coach people to go out and look for friends who are using clever mm-hmm. tactics to achieve a goal they too want to achieve and say, go find what they're doing and try to emulate it. There's benefits to that. People somehow, even though they naturally soak up some of what's around them, there's still something left on the table because just that nudge to, to copy and paste leads people to go looking for um, mimicable behaviors. And that is really important and valuable because other people have approached and tried to pursue most of the goals that you want to achieve. And some of them have found a degree of success and particularly people in your social network, they have more in common with you. Their lifestyle might resemble yours in many ways. Um, So they probably, the things that they're trying may be quite effective for someone like you too. So ask and try to figure out what can you learn from others who've succeeded. No need to reinvent the wheel, yeah. start from scratch. It's not rocket They're... science, but we often right. forget it, right? Like we forget, yeah. hey, somebody That's else true. already did this and I should go collect that data. Like we're used to, you know, trying to learn from experts in so much of life. I, you know, I teach at a business school. People go look at an accounting textbook when they have to figure out accounting. But sometimes with goal setting, we forget that there are other people who've yeah. come before us and that there's expertise there too. For sure. And you don't have to just figure it out all on your own. And other people are a great resource. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Not only do you have your book, How to Change, but you've also got a podcast. You've got a newsletter in addition to all your work being a professor. Uh, So where can folks learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, thanks for asking. And thanks for having me. Um, Best place to find more about me is at uh, katiemilkman.com. It's Katie with a Y like Katy Perry. And you can (laughs) subscribe for Milkman Delivers if you uh, so choose to get monthly tidbits or yeah, listen to my podcast, check out my book or read the nerdy research papers uh, if that's your thing. That's definitely my thing. We love it all. (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Well... All right, man. I I only wish we just had more time to actually talk with Katie. Yeah. Well, maybe our new goal in 2023 is that our interviews are more Joe Rogan One Even going one hour, I think sometimes is long. But yeah, maybe we should take it to like two, three, four four hours long. Uh, No, this this really was an awesome conversation, though, that we had with Katie. What was your uh, your big takeaway from this conversation? One, she's smart. She's got a depth of knowledge Mm -hmm. that's fascinating. But she also... uh, Love her research, all the different examples and stories. As you and I were talking about before we started chatting with Katie, she just, she not only has the head knowledge, but she's done all 
all this practical work with companies yeah. that gives you the ability to connect it to everyday yes. human actions, which I think is super helpful. That's what you get from consulting. Like, For sure. You, it, you, you have to make that connection. Otherwise, you're not really a consultant. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're just a professor. You're just a researcher. Exactly. They're like, I would have taken your class if that's what I wanted. I want the mm-hmm. practical applications of this. But I think my biggest takeaway was when she talked about making it fun and that yeah. you know even if progress takes longer, you're going to be more likely to stick to it. And I think, yeah, when we're talking about budgeting, she said do it over a glass of wine or something like that. That's the kind of advice we've given over the years. Like incorporate something fun into that money management. Set little rewards for yourself as you do make gains, as you do accomplish those smaller goals that you've set out for yourself. It doesn't need to be all drudgery. And ultimately, the yeah. goal is that you're you know hitting on all cylinders. Your your budget reflects the biggest goals that you have for your life, and so that when you achieve those things, it's like it's fun and it's energizing. But the more that we can make what seems uh, boring to be fun. Like when I thought about working out, Matt, you decided for CrossFit. I said, you know what sounds fun to me? A water rowing machine. You that splashy splashy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted it to sound fun while I was working out. Exactly. And I was like, this is going to be like kind of a whole body thing, but it's also, there's something enjoy I find enjoyable mm-hmm. about it. Or riding my bike, on the path and then up our local mountain, like oh, that kind of thing. I like, was curious though. Did you did you make it fun though in the way that you were able to um, what, uh, temptation bundle? Like I assume you're no, I have uh, no. That's well, actually, I do. I listen to a podcast or music typically when I'm working while out, you're for rowing. sure. Okay, but like I just tried to set out instead of signing up for the most hardcore workout I could, I found something. I was like, I know this is going to be less intense, right? And I'm not going to see results as quickly, but it's going to be the thing that I find enjoyable it that I more, feel like I can stick to. It seemed more appealing to you. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's I, really I important. That. I think if it allows you, it's like playing a game of basketball versus going for a run. I'll sign up for a game of basketball any day of the week, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go on a five-mile run. Like, just not going to happen. Huh. I yeah. I hate it. <laughs> and so uh, find the thing this you is, can stick to. Know yourself a little bit. Exa- oh, that's so true, man. This is like one of the ways where you and I are so different. Because for <laughs> me, like hearing a five-mile run, like up the mountain or something, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Basketball, not so much. Jammed way too many fingers in middle school <laughs> <laughs> playing basketball. Uh, but I'm, So my big takeaway, I'm going to do something completely new, which we've never done with an interview before. But I'm going to say something like literally entirely new. This is something we didn't get to. But in her book as well, I I just want to be able to present more information because Katie has so many great ideas. Uh, But she talks about how these different strategies, these these different tactics, they're not something that you can oftentimes just do once and then completely forget about it and have your problem solved. And oftentimes some of these strategies, they may not work as well as they used to maybe when you first started. And so she had talked about when you do see some growth stalling out, just consider new ways to reach your goals because a chore for one person, like running five miles, that might be fun for somebody else, like me. <laughs> and so I, I know that that really stuck with me as well, because she was encouraging folks to think about these different problems we're faced with more as a disease rather than a rash. So for instance, like doctors wouldn't give insulin to a diabetic for one month and then be like, all right, you're set. You're healed. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. It's something ongoing that you have to revisit. Uh, and so in the same way, that is how you would uh, treat a rash, you know, something that is more temporary. But oftentimes with some of these larger goals, especially the financial goals that we have in our lives, think about it like a disease. Yeah. It's this thing that is going to be with you for a really long time. And it is up to you, like you said, Joel, to know yourself and to adapt and figure out how it is that you're going to accomplish that goal. Because oftentimes there isn't somebody outside of you. There isn't that external pressure who is encouraging you to reach that goal. Oftentimes, like, I mean, this is what Katie talks about. Although you should try to make that happen because that's a helpful way to see it. It it. is helpful, but oftentimes, like, these are internal things that we have to figure out ourselves. And so I I just found that really helpful as well. The disease of money management will be with you forever. (laughs) (laughs) But we want you to be able to implement some of the things that Katie talked about on this episode so that you can stick to the goals that you have just created. Like, now is a brilliant time. It's the, the fresh start effect that Katie talked about. Now is is the best time. And one of the things that I've heard Katie say before too, she didn't say today, but like like, uh, so many New Year's resolutions fail, but there's a huge percentage, something like 20% that stick to it. We should take the positive side of that and say, you "You know what? There's no better time of year that more people make lasting change than right now. And so hopefully you can incorporate some of the things Katie talked about and make some lasting change moving forward uh, when it comes to your personal finances. Yeah, focus, focus on the brighter side of things. For sure. Well, let's mention the beer that we had, speaking of the brighter side of things, that we... uh, enjoyed on this episode. This one was called Hefeweizen Guy by Mutation Brewing. It's a Hefeweizen. And yeah, Matt, what were your thoughts on this beer? 
It was great. Yeah, this was another uh, delightful beer by the guys, by Jack and friends over there at Mutation. But yeah, light, pillowy, wheat mm-hmm. uh, beer. It, it, it had a little bit of sweetness. Uh, I feel like mm-hmm. maybe maybe for a Hefeweizen, it was a touch sweeter than some of the ones out there. Uh, like we've had some that are quite dry. Uh, but this is the kind of beer I would 100% drink with a pizza, in particular one that's got maybe some, some spicier sausage on it and oh, you're, yeah. you're looking for something to cool you down. Yeah, this yeah, is uh, really I think if you're normally in the Pilsner crowd, like if you're like Budweiser, Bud Light, that's what I drink. Uh, Occasionally Blue Moon. This is like the better version of Blue Moon kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you want, if if you want a Hefeweizen, you want to move into that craft beer realm, and you haven't really gotten there, find a good Hefeweizen from a local brewery. That's a good thing to to start off with. I still remember one of my first craft beers was Widmer Brothers in Portland, Oregon Hefeweizen. Mm. They make one of the better ones out there. This one wasn't Shock Top. No, (laughs) it was not. (laughs) This one rivaled it though. I think I I really like this beer. Even though Hefeweizens are not my go-to style, this was a good version of it. So Exactly. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, for show notes, links to some of the resources that we mentioned, that Katie mentioned on this episode, you can find those up on our website at howtomoney.com. That's right, man. So that's going to be it. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.